talk is on Vedic Godhead's uh, symbols of profound psycho-spiritual truth. Uh, but we can look at it in the larger picture because Vedic Godheads are not disconnected from the rest of the Vedas. There has been much talk about uh, Sanatan Dharma of late and its revival. But to truly revive Sanatan Dharma, as Shurabindu says, we have to discover it within us. It is to be lived. And if they are not lived and merely spoken of and heard, then perhaps we may preserve a great sacred and holy tradition, but we will not be doing the fullest justice to the heritage that we speak about. So what really is Sanatan Dharma? There are three aspects of Sanatan Dharma which uh, very beautifully Shurabindu brings out. One, Sanatan or the eternal. There is an eternal basis or reality behind all existence. This is the very first thing, the bedrock of all things. Existence is not just a phenomena floating in empty space. But there is something eternal, something that lasts, something that is permanent, that uh, outlasts the changes of time. And behind all appearances, there is a truth, a reality, which has been called by different names. But this reality, to discover it, to realize it, to live it, to find it, this is the first bedrock of Sanatan Dharma, that there is an eternal reality behind this changing, phenomenal transient world. But along with that, there comes another aspect of Sanatan Dharma. What is, if there is such a reality, what is the way to arrive at it? What is the Dharma we must follow? What is that which we must hold on to? If we take the root Dharma from the root Dhra to hold. So in the first definition, there is an eternal reality which holds this world. The second, what is that we must hold on to, to arrive at that eternal reality? So there is second aspect of the Sanatana Dharma. What is the path to reach that one who is, or what that is behind all this world? So this is the second aspect which immediately takes us into the realm of yoga. And Veda not just as sacred texts, of course they are sacred, but Vedas as textbooks of an inner yoga, an inner path which we all can undertake to arrive at that one reality, which is what would be the main focus today as to what is that inner path of the Vedas, which we all can undertake. <coughs> the third thing about Sanatan Dharma is, well, this eternal reality is not disconnected from the rest of the world. Very often when we speak about this eternal reality, we make it appear as if that alone is true and all this is unreal. It's like cutting away the problem, not even acknowledging it, that there is something which is here, which I experience in my cognition, in my feelings, in, in my will. So what is the relation between that reality and this? In other words, if my, my dealings with life should be based on as close a resemblance as to the way that relates with this world. If that is cut off from this world, then the logical thing is I should myself cut off from this world. Then there can be no talk of Sanatan Dharma, there can be no talk of, in fact, anything at all. We need to simply cut off from this world and enter or retire into a monastery. But if you look at the life of the Vedic period, the sages were not cut off from life. Many of them were deeply engaged with life. They were warriors, they, they, 
they in fact people had to go to the sages to learn the art of war to learn the science to learn the uh, technology administration polity so there this truth has a relationship with this world of phenomenal appearances and we suffer because we have a wrong kind of orientation so adharma is essentially in with regard to yes so adharma is when we deviate from the kind of relationship that truth has with this phenomenal world and dharma the third definition of dharma uh, in terms of sanatan dharma is we should relate with this world the way the eternal relates with this world and there are plenty of passages uh, which you know subsequently in the upanishads when when the very first uh, shloka of ish upanishad says isha vasyam idam sarvam yat kinch jagatyam jagat तेन त्यक्तेन भुंजीथा माग विधेय कस्य सुदनम इट्स ए वेरी सॉलिड वे ऑफ रिलेटिंग विद दिस वर्ल्ड वी वी डोंट रन अवे फ्रॉम ऑब्जेक्ट्स ऑफ द वर्ल्ड वी डोंट रन अवे फ्रॉम सिचुएशन इवेंट्स बट वी रिलेट विद इट एज द डिवाइन रिलेट्स विद इट एज ईश रिलेट्स विद इट इन अदर वर्ड्स सनातन धर्मा इन्वॉल्व थ्री लेवल्स वन द डीपेस्ट लेवल द कोर ऑफ एक्जिस्टेंस देर इज एन इटर्नल रियालिटी एंड दिस फिनोमिनल वर्ल्ड डजेंट जस्ट फ्लोट इन एम्प्टी वाइट this is the first bedrock first principle second the inner realm that there is an inner way to arrive at that eternal reality so this is the inner path of yoga or inner path of the vedas which can lead us to get in not only contact but union with that eternal reality third in our outer life in our dealings with people in our dealings with man and bird and beast and stone this sanatan dharma unfolds itself differently and we should be able to relate with this world of phenomenal appearances in the way that the eternal relates with it and that's where we have the most external aspects of any you know sanatan dharma where there is a achar and vyavhar you know in our dealings with humanity but they should derive from the same truth uh, on which they should not just be a mechanical reproduction of uh, you sorts where you know things are just passed on because you know they are the deeper truths are there which we must discover and the beauty of sanatan dharma is that it does not neglect or ignore or cut away any aspect of life but rather shows us how that is linked to the eternal one to illustrate this we can take a very simple tale there is this tale of uh, very very fascinating tale of the dash avatar and it's you know the tale is very well known to all of us so quickly we can go through it and the essence of the tale is that god becomes the fish god becomes the uh, the kurma the the turtle the great turtle then god becomes the vara or the wild boar god becomes nursing or half animal half man then god becomes vamana the dwarf man then god becomes parshuram the wild man god becomes rama the ideal satvik man and god transcends this too and becomes trigunatit and so on and so forth what is this happening god is becoming all this if these things are not just uh, mere appearances and uh, you know the very first avatar it's very fascinating that when the fish takes god becomes fish as mats avatar and he is taking the great boat now this is where the story is similar in 
Noah's Ark and other, you know, there are several stories of deluge. But the significant point that there is a very essential truth which comes in this story, which somehow is missed out. When this great fish is towing the boat in which Raja Sat, King Satyavrata and many other uh, creatures are present, and there is a Rakshasa who attacks the boat and this fish fights with the Rakshasa. So the king asks, what are you doing here? What have you come for? So she makes a very interesting remark, observation. So she makes a very, very interesting observation. She says, Vedanudharti. I have come here to rescue the Vedas. One may wonder, how can the fish rescue the Vedas? And that's where we find that some of the deepest psycho-spiritual significance in the stories and legends of the Vedas and Puranas. How is the fish rescuing the Vedas? If Vedas were merely an otherworldly gospel, then what is the fish doing there, fighting with the Rakshasa? And who is this Rakshasa? How does the fit fight, uh, fish fight? Now, when we look at this, uh, you know, the series of progression or the series of avatar, one thing strikes to, you know, any mind which is a little, which, which, which goes a little deeper into the story, that God becomes a creature in the water, God becomes a creature who is half on water, half on land, God becomes a creature who is conquering the land, and God becomes a creature who is half human, half animal, and God becomes the dwarf man, and the wild man, and the idealized man. So it's an evolutionary progression. So Sanatan Dharma is not disconnected from reality of the phenomenal world. What is happening in phenomenal, phenomenal world? God is progressively revealing himself at different levels of evolution. Even when man was not, Sanatan Dharma was there. Even when bird and beast were not, Sanatan Dharma was there. And what was it doing? It was revealing itself progressively. It was rescuing the Vedas. It was revealing that eternal progressively so that the whole creation does not collapse into inconscient, into nothingness. If, you know, sometimes we very vociferously voice the philosophy of nothingness in the name of Sanatan Dharma. But Sanatan Dharma, in fact, is a very, very affirmative. Uh, God is rescuing the Vedas in the form of fish. He does not want creation to collapse. He wants the creation to progressively reveal the divine who is inherent in nature. And then we can understand many of the external aspects which have come up in Sanatana Dharma. The dance forms, how to link to the eternal. The sciences, how to explore the eternal and wonder at the mystery of the eternal. The polity and administration, how the eternal truths can be applied in terms of our everyday life, in terms of polity and administration. Law based on that eternal truths. The system of uh, division of human beings, if at all, it's not really a division, but a hierarchical progression of humanity, again based on eternal truths. So how the eternal relates with us? So this is the third aspect of Sanatana Dharma. But we can focus more on, because what concerns us really, I always feel that instead of uh, relegating Sanatana Dharma to a group of people or a group of humanity, which you know tends to lose its universal relevance and significance, Sanatana Dharma is something, or the Vedic uh, thought is something which is given to whole of humanity. Before I belong to this religion or that religion, before I belong to this country or that country, I belong to the whole of humanity. 
and in humanity there is a double existence it's irrespective of wherever we are we may be in this country that country this age that age but there is a double existence in man and this is the first thing that vedas tell us one our physical corporeal existence which all of us are aware of or will partly aware of and another which is a deeper psycho spiritual existence of which we can become aware of and in which we can progressively grow and this is something which anyone can practice irrespective of his religious beliefs irrespective of where he is or where he is not so one aspect is that this existence we are aware of another there is a deeper existence which we can become aware of and ascend into that and those who took this inner journey were called dwijar the twice born the sacred birth the second birth whatever way we can put it so this now again when we look at these truths from this perspective we will find that in many traditions all over the world this concept has been there of the second born but it has not been understood and sanatan dharma says it's not an external ritual by which we become twice born we become twice born when we undertake this journey of discovering the eternal and is manifold relationship with this world so this is the first step the initiation into the inner journey and since the vedas knew the vedic rishis knew that how these truths can be distorted as i think uh, some of us many of us already know they guarded it very closely by a method which is really unique to sanskrit language the truth was given at once had a double meaning an inner sense and an outer sense to the non initiate who was who was not willing to live the deeper mystery he could see only the outer sense and it was in a way good it it prevented the truth from being corrupted and defiled by all our you know the way we turn everything into a very closed religion how beautifully the seers guarded this truth because they knew that these are deeper mysteries and they have to be lived shubhendra at one place says truths of spirit are not to be merely thought they have to be lived because unless they are lived they lose their power the eternal veda is secret in the heart of every thinking and living creature and unfolds itself slowly or progressively as the mind of man turns towards the eternal as his heart no longer cabined into finite appearances seeks in whatever degree of the infinite this is the first entry point in the sanatan dharma the aspiration for the divine the aspiration for the eternal and that is the sacred fire the first thing is to light the fire but very interestingly the vedas speak of even before you light the fire prepare prepare the ground and lay the bricks and the bricks have to be laid in three layers and the whole place cleaned what is this act is it merely a ritual are the rishis talking of some external ground where we must do bhumi pujan and lay the bricks and you know light the fire if that is so then how are they speaking of that fire will bring me cattle and horses because we know that material fire doesn't do that they are obviously talking of a very deep inner truth and it's not difficult to understand it even today we use the word fire in this sense he has a fire for this it means he has a zeal and enthusiasm it's not something which is you know uh, entirely foreign to our understanding when we speak of an urge to realize something they say he has a fire for this 
he is lit up with this so similarly the fire is the first godhead and that is why he is the very first one whom the rishi invokes but before that he prepares the ground cleans it what are these three layers of bricks they are our mind body and life which have to be prepared reasonably if i am leading a thoroughly vagabond life it's very difficult to light that fire it can be lit no doubt it cannot be lit not that it cannot be lit but that fire will be soon covered with all kinds of smoke and dust or it will raise a whole storm in the atmosphere because it's a fire that purifies everything burns everything so to prepare the ground and laying the brick and then the fire has to be lit the method of lighting the fire is again very interesting this is take two wood there is a special wood which is available i mean which arani and they say put one on top of the other and rub it now why this elaborate they could have simply said take two woods and rub them and you know you can light a fire but they literally say take them put one on top of the other rub it and the fire is lit what is this lower tinder and what is this higher tinder the lower tinder is this nature in us this lower nature full of all kinds of things alone it cannot light the fire and the higher tinder is that which burns on the apex of the worlds there is a supernature there is a divine presence and when this lower nature in whatever way opens to the eternal it doesn't matter what form name in fact they released yoga from all trappings of humanity the moment this lower nature opens to something high in whatever way it conceives it may be a guru it may be a deity it may be a you know favorite religion it may be just simply a seeking for the divine by whatever way this lower nature opens to the higher nature by the mutual rubbing when there is a contact and a rub a fire is lit and born so this is the first god whom the rishi invokes agni mile purohitam hotaram he is called as the priest of the sacrifice unless agni is born all other gods cannot come that's why also he is the oldest as well as the youngest because he is the one who carries everything forward he is the bright one luminous one who carries the sacrifice upward are we just talking of physical agni no doubt these symbols can apply there but this is an inner path to light the fire of aspiration the first thing necessary in the vedic uh, path that man must aspire for the divine it's not enough that we simply have every day some kind of a ritualistic uh, you know tradition but if the fire is not lit here it doesn't lead to the uh, further initiation so first thing necessary is to light up this fire having done that this is the first thought of the vedas having done that the second thought is the concept of yagya we must perform yagya sacrifice the rishis talk of sacrifice and very interestingly there is samidha you put in the yagya there is ghatam you put in the yagya there are many things you put in the yagya what is this yagya are the rishis simply you know some naturalistic worshipers who you know put fire and every day they took joy in just putting things into the fire as some kind of scientific formula to purify the air if it's that much only then we don't need to really study the vedas there are enough fire you know air purifiers available nowadays you have to simply spray them 
You don't have to go through the complicated process of lighting a fire and then putting things. But the rishis were talking of something which will hold, outlast humanity. That's the beauty of the Vedas. That they give a path which is going to transcend and cut across sections of humanity and they knew it that it will be valid for all times to come. Because as long as man is there, he will seek the divine. Man is the most dissatisfied of all creations and that is his greatness. In one of the beautiful observations in the life divine Shobindu says that an animal is satisfied with the modicum of necessities gods are content with their splendor man is the most dissatisfied and therefore he alone is capable of being seized by a frenzy to arrive at the eternal man has that all the knocks and shocks of life vedas speak of the suffering of life not as punishment and sin. I don't know, this concept has come down at some point of time in Sanatan Dharma, which is such an anathema. They were not at all obsessed with sin. They talked about this flame making the crooked straight. Sheena dosha. It makes, it, it, the, the, uh, the hold of the lower nature becomes weak when this flame comes up. But what they said, what is suffering due to? They are not talking of some papa and punyas. They are saying this suffering bakes the clay and makes the patra ready and strong to receive the soma vine. This makes the patra ready to receive the soma vine. When the soma will come, if we have not gone through the purifying flame of suffering, then we, are, we don't become strong. When it comes, we spill it over. And that happens with people. And it's very simple to understand it. Suffering chastens a man. It fills him with humility, a deep humility. It makes one truly wide. We begin to understand that there are so many things in life beyond our limited being. It makes us truly wide. Those who have not gone through the, you know, some kind of suffering in life, they are very frivolous. They just take life as it comes. And little ananda comes into the being. It spills over. Look at the, you know, a young man who has received everything as an inheritance. And he drives the car and he thinks the whole road belongs to him. And of course, I am sure in Houston things are better. But you know, when you go back to India, a, a young entrepreneur receiving all the wealth from his father believes that not only the road, the city belongs to him. And he can get away with anything. His patra cannot receive the soma wine. Even a little joy of life he receives, he spills it over. But when one goes through the knocks and blows, they are not some punishment from the divine. They are beautiful means of preparing ourselves. This is a profound truth that Sanatana Dharma reveals and the Vedic Rishis tell it in a very simple way. This is suffering is like a fire that purifies and bakes the clay and makes the body capable of holding the flame and holding the gods and holding the Amrit and the, and the uh, Soma, the delight of existence. So this is the inner journey after the fire is lit, sacrifice. What is this sacrifice? Sacrifice of all our actions as Samidha. Sacrifice of the lower for the higher. Sacrifice of the lesser for the greater, the vaster. Sacrifice of the false for the true. That's why the Rishi says, Asado ma sadgamya, tamso ma jyotirgamya. We have to sacrifice our darkness. We have to sacrifice the ego orientation. This ego oriented life or notion of life has to be exchanged with a deeper orientation divine centric life this is what the Vedas tell us that you know if we continue to live that kind of life which is full of ego for the satisfaction of a petty ego and desire then 
we cannot become vrahatam and in a very beautiful image which you know directly relates to the action of the vedic gods there is a story of sun shape where he is symbolized as a man tied to the stake this story is in other myths also in greek legends it is there but in different ways and it, when we look at that way then we truly realize that how sanatan dharma is universal because everywhere you see its traces you know the whole story of prometheus of bringing down the fire being chained to the lower existence and you know being threatened by indra it's a very fascinating tale but in india this all these tales have been given their deepest and widest significance so we have to climb towards vrath and towards satyam that is the journey of man from the lesser to the higher and vaster existence and for that we have to perform sacrifice this sacrifice literally means now i am not at the center but fire is at the center to sacrifice our life means that in all the activities of my life i'll keep my aspiration in the center my aspiration for the eternal it means that in every activity the practical application of this would be that in every activity i have to see what takes me closer to the eternal and what takes me away from him and and it's very simple to you know and it requires just a bit of sincerity to know this of course just a bit of sincerity is a very rare quality in in our human nature but it's so simple that's why vedas say what really is sin it is that which deviates from the truth they use the word anritam asatyam it is in relation to truth what is sin is not an external action what deviates from the truth what takes us away from the truth now it's you know all of us can look within how this truth is unfolding ourselves so sacrifice is essentially the pouring gritam our mind our mentality we pour into this instead of the mind what is this pouring of the mind so that it becomes uh, more and more shining and it brings down indra pouring of our illumined thought our thoughts are uh, fritting and you know they are running in thousand and one directions like wild horses they are running in today in you know they are involved in the share market tomorrow in something else third day in something else but when the thoughts turn towards the eternal it becomes a sacrifice one thinks of the eternal one reads of the eternal one wants to know about the eternal when this aspiration burns in the mind then it becomes a sacrifice of the thought gritam it is that shining substance the shining mind the shining butter all these are come from that root as uh, of course uh, anuradha would tell us this afternoon gra that which shines so as we pour it brings brings down rains of god's bounty the rishis pray for rain what is that rain things which come from above the rains of god bounty in fact this expression again is used rain of grace sometimes it's used as shower of grace shower of blessings but when it comes to vedas we give a very very hardcore naturalistic interpretation what were the rishis doing they were basically farmers struck with famine so they were praying for rain every day they were praying for rain not realizing that excess rain can do as much harm to the crops as you know less rain they were seeking that rain which drops from heavens and fills our being with ananda it's a real inner experience which we can even today have in our inner journey that there is a point when this fire is lit and as it climbs we can literally take a bath a literal bath in the the inner being can take in that shower and get purified 
because these are the streams that come from above. They purify us. Not only they purify us, they flow into us as streams of knowledge, as the creative word, Saraswati and the rivers, which come into us and they clarify our mind, flow as inspiration and intuition as revelation. That is why the Vedas are regarded as Shrutis, Drishti and Shruti. Again, the word Shruti is not, I hear with these ears. These ears I hear things which are very cross and it has a meaning, but the deeper sense of Shruti is that which is revealed to me as an inspired and intuitive knowledge. It is revealed in the inner chambers of my soul. I hear, I receive. People again use this expression. I have heard the voice of God. What is that voice of God? What is that command within? That is Shruti. What is Drishti? Not just what this phenomenal world sees. In fact, our our eyes are a big problem. They, they, they conceal much more than they reveal. So, Drishti, the Rishi sees. The Kavi is a seer. He is not just a thinker. He actually sees the truth. That should be the aspiration. If there is a truth, how can I see it? Is there a way to see it? That's how they are Shrutis and they are Smritis. Not just this memory. They are a memory lingering in the very secret soul within us that we have come from some divine home. There is something divine which is there in us. That is the Smriti to which we wake up. The word is very interesting. Sometimes the word Smriti is used as enlightenment. He regained Smriti. What kind of Smriti? Is it just a physical Smriti? By simply remembering that, well, uh, such a such, you know, sloka is written there, I will regain enlightenment. I regain enlightenment when I have the true Smriti, the Smriti that I am that. Aham Brahmasmi. When that Smriti comes, because that is the deepest truth of our being, which we don't realize and which we have strayed from. The more we discover that, we begin to awaken and enlighten into the consciousness of that. The point is again and again that Vedas are deep truths which have to be lived. And this is the journey. Now, as the sacrifice proceeds, there is a third truth which Vedas bring out, is the birth of the gods. Gods are born in us. And gods grow by us. They seek us as much as we seek them. What is this interesting parallel? Why do the gods seek us? What business have that God, they got to seek us? What is it that we can offer to them? And what is it that they give to us? We have offered through the Agni, the sacrifice of Ghritam, the sacrifice of our actions and everything. What do the gods give us? They, they give us Go and Ashu. Wow. Go is light. That's how the word comes from. Gupta. Godhan. Gopal. Gopal is not just one who keeps. That's why Krishna's name is Gopal. He is the guardian of the light. Gop and Gopi. The keepers of the light. And of course the word Gupt, that which is hidden. Hidden from the light. That which is concealed. So Go is not just cow. It is cow, of course. But it is also that which is light. The light of plenty. And so also Ashur, horse. Today we use this expression horsepower. It is acceptable. But when it comes to the Vedic horse, we have to always think of a horse with four legs. So today, you know, if that is the truth, then Vedas will lose relevance today because everybody is not seeking horses and cows. People will say that, oh, gods give us motor car and 
maybe you know it makes then it will become irrelevant for today's times but if ashu is force and power if go is light if agni is the divine will which is ever there to lead us kritu the, the real doer tiska if agni is the real doer within us and our life has to be aligned according to agni that's why agni makes the crooked straight then it will remain relevant not only for today but for all times to come as long as humanity is there so these gods come who are these gods first there is a very interesting story usually a combination of god comes first it is indra and maruts and it's very interesting to observe their action they observe they work together much like varun and mitra they are inseparable friends so indra and maruts come and what does indra do he puts his thunderbolt chases vritra into the caves of course sometimes with the help of rishis sometimes all by himself and who is there hiding in the caves now comes the other aspect of the vedic legend that just as there are gods there are also the rakshasas and asuras the danavas the daityas the valas the panis the vritras they are they have stolen the cows and gone inside the caves and indra's thunderbolt will break the cave and destroy these rakshasas are we talking of some archaic times with rakshasas with two horns or are we talking of indra and maruts as powers of consciousness indra as thought as as the as an illumined mind which has the word the power of the word and maruts as the manifold action of life prana in us that's why there are panch vayus maruts flow in many directions they give power to speech and expression when marut comes our speech assumes a different quality altogether because the maruts are active indra is active along with them if there is only marut and no indra then it will be a very good speech but it will lack illumination it will lack clarity but when indra and maruts work together their speech becomes illumined and forceful and what do they do they enter into these subconscious caves what are these caves modern psychologists call them subconscious indian psychologists call them patala and who are these asuras very interesting the gods are unified in the light the asuras divide of course in the original vedic conception sur and asur was a very different terminology asurs were those who represented the fourth side of the supreme and the devas were those who represented the light side of the supreme but the way word has over a period of time undergone change so we have the various pervertors of light who is vritra who tears away the booty of light so many times we have this experience it is really a vedic experience that we have sat for a meditation and we feel very beautiful or we have heard something nice or we have read something beautiful some shlokas or some psalm from somewhere or we have gone to a temple and felt very nice but when we have stepped out and after some time where does it all vanish this is the light that hides into the subconscious there are dasyus who take a back door entry steal it put it into the subconscious and then we you know it is lost to us then we have to go again for another reading another meditation before we can recover it a little and what does vala does and panis do they cover the light with what with doubts depression discouragement these are the various dasyus whom we have to fight but we don't fight alone the gods fight for us 
वी कैन नॉट फाइट विद अवर ह्यूमन विल नो बडी कैन रिजॉल्व इज डाउट सिंपली बाई कॉन्स्टेंटली एनालाइजिंग द ह्यूमन माइंड डज नॉट हैव द कैपेसिटी एंड दैट्स वाई इट्स वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग दैट वन कुड राइट पेजेज आफ्टर पेजेस यू नो on doubts people have doubts whether god exists or not whether this possible or not but you cannot just heal you cannot just convince as long as man remains at the level of the rational mind only those who are convinced from within they remain convinced the other ones will find always arguments because at that level you cannot fight the vritras the vritras has to be fought by indra first we must do the sacrifice grow in consciousness our mind must develop illumination everybody says we must have viveka and love and how are we to have everybody knows we must have love we must treat human beings with equality everybody knows it's not something to be taught the issue is how we can arrive at that and there comes the method by sacrificing our life to the eternal and when we do it indra comes with this thunderbolt of light in fact the thunderbolt is made of diamond it's very interesting every aspect of the tail smallest touch is interesting and with this thunderbolt sometimes with the help of a rishi by the power of the bird he breaks the caves releases the cows destroys the darkness vritra is slays the vritra what a beautiful story of inner life it is fascinating drama of inner life which unfolds in everybody's life who undertakes the inner vedic journey and then after the indra and maruts have prepared the consciousness then as in the story of soon shape with three knots tying him the knots of mind the knots of life and the life the knot of body we have varuna descending indra has prepared the ground mind has become illumined now varuna the vast descends into consciousness he is the seer we have parallel in the greek pantheon apollo which is considered sometimes similar as the surya and also sometimes as the varuna because he has the divine vision then we begin to have developed drishti which sees beyond time shobindra says very beautifully all space becomes a single body time a single book then we can see beyond time because varuna gives that vision he is vast our life is cabined when indra comes destroys the vritras now varuna comes but varuna comes with mitra mitra gives a further illumination he is the godhead of love and harmony who arranges things harmoniously so it's not enough to have vastness because that vastness can be very confusing how to harmonize the different movements of consciousness when we become vast many things enter into us and we become aware of many things so there must be a power of consciousness which can harmonize these and that is mitra even to till today the word mitra is preserved for the friend and he is the mitra the godhead who comes along with varuna and further gives takes us one more step forward and as mitra and varun prepare us there is brahmanaspati and there is vishnu there is rudra and what beautiful godheads they are brahmanaspati who by the power of the word creates new things now is the time the sacrifice has gone much further ground has been purified agni is flaming indra has come cleared the darkness doubts have been dispelled vidyante hridaganti chidyanti sarvasanshya no more doubts no more darkness varuna has come vastness has entered into consciousness mitra is arranging things now is the time rudra will remove every trace of falsehood that's why 
Rudra's consort is Kali and also Parvati. Kali is again the great destroyer, Namundamalini. She takes away the ego and puts it on her as a garland. We cannot be before her with the ego. This is a very nice poem by a great sage, Kabir. He says, if you want to sit in the house of the Lord, you have to do one thing. He cuts short the entire process of sacrifice into one sentence. He says, Ye to ghar hai prem ka, khala ka ghar nahi, seesh kataye, bhui dhare, tab ghar mahi. Translated into English, it means, this is the house of the eternal beloved. Not, you see how they had seen God not just as impersonality, but as a supreme personality and beyond all things. It is the house of the Lord of love and eternal beloved. Not my cousin's place. So what is the tax you have to pay before entry? Cut off your head. Place it on the floor. Then you get admittance into it. What does Kali do? Like Rudra, she destroys our past. All that yet lingers, clings, attaches ourselves. She destroys that. That is why she is with the great god Rudra. And Shiva. Later on, you know, Rudra assumed the stature of Shiva. But Shiva's consort is also Parvati who is born after Sati. Sati is Avidyamai that goes and Parvati who creates a new creation. She is the progenitor Uma Hemvati who, you know, after the destruction, the new creation. And for that we need Brahma, Brahmanaspati who later became Brahma. Brahmanaspati and his consort Saraswati. For Saraswati is the inspired word and that word creates the whole life anew for us. It is that power of creation that's why Brahma has the word and Saraswati is his consort. And Vishnu as Lakshmi because Vishnu is the all-pervading. Varuna is vastness. Vishnu is all-pervading. So he is all-pervading. So there has to be something which harmonizes all these different things. It should not become a waste paper basket. When we talk of, you know, oneness, we think oneness is like becoming a waste paper basket. Throw away everything there and they are uh, absolutely in a disorganized state. Oneness is like the oneness of the sky where all things are there but they are in the right place by the right law, rhythm. That is the right law of everything which holds all things together in their mutual relation and arrangements but by a law which is consonant by the law of truth. That's why things don't fall out of space. That's why there is gravity. That's why the sun does his work and goes on the rounds. That's why the star-studded space is woven as a garland across the sky. That is why the flowers bloom from the gene enclosed in a seed. Because the Sanatan is there and he holds everything in their mutual relationship. That rith begins to appear. And Vishnu, the all-pervading, his consort is Lakshmi and he sleeps on Seshnag. What a beautiful uh, figure it is. Shir Sagar is the ocean of milk. Who sleeps on it? Vishnu, the all-pervading vastness. And who is below him? The Anantnag, the ever-unfolding time, which is unfolding itself in a thousand-fold ways. It has many, many hoods in many directions. Time unfolds its coils. And who is his consort? but Lakshmi, who can harmonize all things with her love, with her grace, with her charm. This is the beautiful image. So many beautiful images of so many gods are there. Again, when the Rishi prays 
Vigna Haro. Whom is he invoking? What Vigna? We often, you know, when we talk of that obstruction should be removed, we immediately think of that my car should run without running out of gas. That's a very, very, uh, you know, we reduce gods to sometimes to really, sometimes one feels pity for them. Because, uh, you know, especially <laughs> in India, I had this uh, occasion, you know, this Ganpati's festival is going on. And I was going on my scooter and I saw poor Ganpati, you know, because people were drunk and they were, you know, all kinds of things was going on. So I really felt sorry for the Lord. But I said, see, I am lucky I can just cross you and go away. But you have to, you know, uh, unfortunately be in this uh, august company, these drunkards, because they just don't know whom they are carrying. And they pray to him to, you know, remove obstructions. Obstruction is inside us, in the inner path. We invoke Ganpati to remove all the obstructions at the most material plane. That is why he is the first door. So that my inner journey can go on. My yajna can go on unimpeded. Because this yajna, the rakshasas, asuras throw wine and meat and God knows what. So Vignesh has to be there. He will, you know, invoking him, we can go on our inner journey smoothly. We can invoke Durga. What a beautiful image. The great protector who guards us against the red wolf and the snake. And who is Durga? What a beautiful combination of beauty and strength. It's amazing. The ever unmarried. And she combines beauty and strength. Beauty is not frailty. Beauty is strength. And strength is beautiful. And she combines them together. And her we invoke in our inner journey. So these gods and goddesses begin to appear. Ila, Mahi, the goddess of illumination, the goddess of intuition, Sarma, they begin to descend into us and therefore the gods grow. How they grow? They begin to grow in matter on this basis of this earthly existence. They begin to grow in earth. And then we begin to understand the full significance of the ancient legend. The ancient legend has it in one of the Upanishads. I think it is Tatri Upanishad where the gods descend into forms, brother. Where there is, you know, yeah, Aitariya Upanishad, where uh, different forms are created and God asks the gods, which one will you occupy? They reject all the forms. But when human is created, they say, in him we will go. But we wonder, where are those gods? Are they sleeping? No, they are working, even in our unconsciousness. That's why Agni is the god who goes inside. The whole story of creation is fascinating. That the bride of Brahman has gone away, Brahmacheya. And where has she entered? Where can she hide? She hides into the immense darkness created within the body of the Lord. That's a very symbolic tale. Now who will find her? Nobody is able to go and find her. Yama can find her. Because Yama can enter into the dark. Agni says, I will go and call her. So Agni goes, goes into that immense darkness, plunges, which is the domain of Yama. All these stories, I mean, every legend is so beautiful. The story of Marthand, the story of Yama itself. Uh, Surya is called as Pushan. Even Yama at times, because, you know, he is the one who maintains the law. Because, as we will see, Surya is the highest. Uh, so, Agni goes and says, I will bring out now, who is this bride of Brahman? 
are we talking of some uh, brahman or some uh, deity or some king who was married to a queen who went away to kanyakumari from kashmir and agni was a duta who had to go there fight on the way with some you know dravidian forces and go to kanyakumari and bring back if that is the story then really it's not worth it that is an everyday soap opera story brahma jaya is the consciousness of the supreme which has entered and become this darkness she has become this inconscient world she has become nature this is the great sacrifice which you know is spoken of as the purusha plunging but it is actually the plunge of the divine mother into creation that's why the cult of mother and mother aditi the mother of the gods and as she has hidden there agni will begin to extract her out gradually gradually she comes when agni calls she is hidden behind nature behind nature there is the consciousness of the mother supreme and this agni gradually as the sacrifice proceeds as the gods are born slowly she is released into her consciousness and as she is released our consciousness grows more and more divine as it grows more and more divine what is the sign of that divinity we have these gods bhag ananda soma all this entering into us who is bhag purified enjoyment it's truly it can't even be called refined it's the most purified form of enjoyment at the gross material level how does the divine enjoy this world and who is soma there is a delight of existence hidden in life we have to squeeze it press it and release it and when the gods come when this delight is released when they drink soma they grow strong in us indra grows strong when delight is released mitra grows strong when delight is released varuna goes strong when delight is released we become vaster and vaster we enter more and more into satyam ritam vrahatam as this delight of existence is released and how this delight is released same process sacrifice to the agni consecrate to the agni whenever we have a problem difficulty a narrowness sacrifice to the agni instantly our heart grows wide and it's a very very practical thing we don't have to light an outer fire let this flame of aspiration be burning and when we see there is a loss in our life take it that well i give it to the eternal what matters for me is the eternal and not this world tadeva brahmantvam vidhi nedam yadidam upasate the beauty is when we do that instantly as if a great hand of varuna descends and makes us vast as if a delight is released from within us that is the soma and not just you know the barley drink well it is barley drink also but surely the vidhis <laughs> rishis were not advocating us to drink uh, wine and uh, be happy they they were telling us to drink wine but the wine of divine you know the the one wine which can truly make us fulfilled and happy and delightful that is the soma the ashwins the rishis invoke the twins who are married to the daughter of the sun to the to the daughter of light who are these ashwins for yoga and sadhana we need health we need youthful energy we need enthusiasm we need cheerfulness ashwins are lovely gods they give us all this in other words the consciousness of health you see how does vedas bring health this is how when we do this sacrifice the forces are released in a system which heal us there are healing forces of life which stand above and they wait for to come down into our system even if we were not to take a herb by the very fact that we offer ourselves to the god the gods descend 
and Ashwins come, make us full of youthful energy, vitality and health, so we can perform the sacrifice better. These are the, uh, you know, uh, swift-footed Ashwins. And then, all these gods, where do they lead us finally? Ekam, Satyam, Viprava, Bahudhavadanti. They lead us to the sun, to the supramental truth. And this truth is not disconnected from the world. This truth is active in the world. That is why it lets off a thousand or a million horses into this world. It is active in the world. But the beauty is, it is active in a different way. It's a new relation we begin to form. Suryo yatha sarva lokasya chakshu nalipyate chakshu se bhaye dosha The same way our soul eko vashi sarva bhutantaratma nalipyate lok dukhin bhaya There is this sun. If one asks, what is this earth? What is happening in this earth? Say, all because of the sun. Ultimately, you can trace the rain to the sun. You can trace drought to the sun. You can trace creation to the sun. You can trace destruction to the sun. Everything that happens on this earth is directly or indirectly linked to the sun. Ask the sun, what are you doing? He say, I am doing nothing. I am stationed in space. It's just that I am pouring my force and consciousness and light upon earth. Same way we have to form a new relation with the world. That is why the Rishi can sit very far in the Himalayas and change this world. Because by constantly growing in the inner sun, that sun pours itself millions of miles across, millions of aeons across. That's what how Shobindo intervened in the Second World War. He was sitting in his room and working. That is the secret of the Vedas. That the more we become that, the more powerful and effective we become in this world. We don't become like, you know, uh, withdrawn and gone. We become more powerful and effective. We become fuller. We become as if more and more our nature becomes more and more godlike. We have a new life and a new mind, a new heart. That is the birth of a new consciousness. Usha, the bringer of dawn releases these powers in us and our consciousness becomes new. We have crossed the night and we have a new birth. But only thing is, does the Vedic journey stop there with a new mind and a new life? Or will the Vedas go on to create even a new body? That is the secret that is yet to unfold. The Vedic Rishis spoke of illumination in the mind. Om Bhur Bhuvaswa Illumine my mind, my mentality may change because they saw that mind is the link principle. Unless the mind changes, the rest cannot change. But the Vedic journey is still going on and it will not stop only with the change of mind and attitude and thought. It will go on till the very life force and the very body changes in man and this earthly life becomes the life divine. This is, uh, I had in, uh, I don't know, I didn't have in mind, but this is what, uh, <laughs> I, I just would like to conclude with some lines from Savitri. This is what I would like to read as a finishing touch. Shurabindo uh, in Savitri reveals this Veda and uh, the Veda that we have known and the Veda that is yet to come, this man journey not being complete and something more which is to unfold that a new kind of being has to come 
who not only embodies a new consciousness but also a new body. And these are just two pages. It's I think it's there in the last two pages. So this probably you know I'll just read out. These are just some little excerpts. Uh, this is a poem of 24,000 lines, and every line is a Veda mantra. But I am just reading a few, just about two pages, about 20 lines, uh, some which relate to the passages which we have, you know, the the subject of our discussion. lines from savitri he is the wisdom that comes not by thought his wordless silence brings the immortal word he sleeps in the atom and the burning star he sleeps in man and god and beast and stone this is the hiranyagarb the eighth son martand cast out into this darkness into the womb of night whom the rishis have to recover with the help of indra with the help of varuna with the help of all the gods he is sleeping here who is hidden the sanatan dharma is hidden inside he is the one whom the fish rescues as matsavtar he is the one whose journey is going on and the journey of man is actually the journey of this hidden eternal in us and we truly understand our journey when we begin to discover him who sleeps within us he sleeps in man and god and beast and stone because he is there the inconscient does its work upanishad puts it in a little more uh, you know management way it says for fear of him the suns burn for fear of him the stars are held in space because he is there the inconscient does its work we say that this is a mechanical universe that's what the science says and yet what an order is there in this mechanical universe if it is simply a chaotic random chance event then we don't accept or expect order we don't expect evolution we expect chaos and disorder but everything in this world works by certain law scientists discovered the law they didn't make the law it is there why because he is there the inconscient does its work because he is there the world forgets to die therefore yudhishthir's uh, uttar the the answer yudhishthir gave when he was asked what is the most amazing most surprising thing in this world he says kimasharyam so yudhishthir says every day we see people die yet we believe we are immortal and this legend is interpreted in two ways one is to remind us that we are going to die but actually the legend is much deeper because uh, uh, indian myths are very deep they are not just superficial if it is only to remind people to die it's something you don't need to the beauty is yudhishthir is pointing it is ashcharya and he gives a very subtle hint he says there is something in us which knows its immortality therefore we don't we forget to die in spite of death all around us something within us believes that we are immortal that's why the rishi spoke of amritam mrityor ma amritam gamya what is this amrit and mrityu when we live within bonds and boundaries 
in the pash of avidya maya then we are prone to mrityu because whatever is within limits will is bound to be destroyed one day the limits will be shed off the limits of ignorance avidya and what is amritam in the original sense of the rishi satyam vrahatam ritam that which is vast cannot die because you cannot destroy it you cannot destroy the all pervading oneness there is no way you can destroy it so when the rishi spoke of amritam he was not just speaking of you know that henceforth i am going to live forever that's okay that's also possible at some future time but he was first talking of the consciousness of immortality when we are in vastness swami vivekananda put it so beautifully he said when we begin to become one we have everybody joy multiplies and becomes manifold that is the oneness when we live in oneness that's why the rishi says satra ko moha ka shoka ekatvam anupashyata how shall he be deluded how shall he have grief who sees oneness everywhere because he is there the world forgets to die his slumber is an almightiness in things vishnu creates worlds in his sleep awake he is the eternal and supreme this is the journey of man to wake up to wake up to this inner reality and the path of the vedas which leads us to that by the agni and the sacrifice in the birth of the gods and this cannot be understood by mind so it says this is the wisdom that comes not by thought the upanishad puts it nayam atmana pravachane na medhana bahuna shruten yame veshe vranute tene labhyastashes atma vivranute tanuswam this wisdom does not come by thought or struggle analysis or by uh, so called reading of books it comes when the fire is lit and it comes when in this fire we offer all of our being with one single pursuit that i want the eternal tadeva brahmantam vidhi nedam yadi damupasate there is a being beyond the being of mind because if the mind can understand it it has to be something submental and not supramental because mind can understand what is below it not what is beyond it an immeasurable cast into many forms anejadekam manaso javiyo and ekam bijam bahudha yat karoshi an immeasurable cast into many forms a miracle of the multitudinous one there is a consciousness mind cannot touch its speech cannot utter nor its thought reveal yan mansan manute yena hur manomatan mind cannot touch it the speech cannot reach it and yet mind and speech are born from that there is a consciousness mind cannot touch its speech cannot utter nor its thoughts reveal it has no home on earth nor center in man yet is the source of all things taught and done knowing that all else is known this is what the rishi said that it was not a disconnected reality that jagat it declared it as absolutely nothing and that alone is real no it's connected to everything it is the secret source of all things the support of all things yasmin vigyate vigyati sarvam mind is not all his tireless climb can reach in other words the last word of veda is yet to be written the vedic journey is not a book finished and closed now to be wrapped in silken strings kept in a sacred place where we must bow down respectfully yes we must bow down respectfully but the vedas has to be revealed within us and as they are revealed how the rishis wrote these experiences there are more experiences fresh revelations which are bound to arise in humanity because 
in a in a hint in a gist form in a beach form everything has been given the whole journey and its future but that future has to unfold itself because god cannot be satisfied with such a you know his creativity will be questioned if man is his highest creation because if truly sachidanand has created this creature called man who is full of asat achit niranand then truly one has to question god's creativity sanatan dharma is yet unfolding mind is not all his tireless climb can reach there is a fire on the apex of the worlds there is a house of the eternal's light there is an infinite truth an absolute power so how are we to reach it we should call this fire down and then ascending out of the limiting breaths of mind they shall discover the world's huge design and step into the truth the right the vast satyam ritam bhratam this right is not a moral right or wrong but a much deeper right the right relation that the supreme has with the world supreme engages in great destruction also on the battlefield of kurukshetra when krishna is asked who art thou so he doesn't say i am the follower of a non violent doctrine he says kalos me bhava time the destroyer so even arjuna's you know the great warrior he shakes trembles and he says what have you come here for he doesn't say i have come here to teach people some meditation he says lok kshay krit pravardho the same krishna who says lok sangraharth also says lok kshay krit pravardho i have come to destroy all this that is the grand vision and unless we regard this aspect of god also that god is all things then we will understand the true sense of rith then we will understand the task of rudra and kali as much as the task of vishnu and brahma because destruction is creation's hasty pace and hell is a shortcut to heaven's gates this is the secret that is revealed when we look at life from that vastness that is why when nachiketa asks yama tell me about that one whose glory shines through many forms or hides behind the forms so yama says you want to know about him na tatra suryo bhanti na chandra tarakam nothing shines there you want to ask about him and then he gives a description which is heart rendering he says you want to know of him whose in whose uh, food sages and heroes are the meat and i death am a spice in his banquet you want to see him are you ready nachiketa is that fire in katopanishad nachiketa carries that inner fire so it is called nachiketa agni because it's the fire of aspiration so when when this aspiration is born in us then we arrive at the nachiketa hood if we may call it and then we become qualified then also we have to do shreyas and prayas upanishad gives the same thing in a a little more understandable way and gita gives the same thing in a more comprehensible way it speaks of yagyarth ka you know doing the inner yagya as yat karoshi whatever you do keep on offering to me patram pushpam phalam phalam toyam so it brings that great truth into still more practical words and here we have in the language that we understand today and then as we grow into the truth the right the vast what happens a new consciousness wakes in us we are freed from the clutches of mortality and this limiting consciousness the superman shall wake in mortal man and manifest the hidden demigod the story of the atri upanishad where the gods have gone and slept in us 
they begin to wake up or grow into the god light and god force the spirit's force shall occupy nature's force this world shall be god's visible garden house the earth shall be a field and camp of god man shall forget consent to mortality nature shall live to manifest secret god the spirit shall take up the human play this earthly life become the life divine that is the significance of veda in today's time unless man grows out of his mental consciousness we may read and we may publish books we may you know do all kinds of things we will only be talkers and talkers we have to walk the path and when we walk the path grow beyond the limited mental consciousness into a vaster spiritual and a supramental consciousness then it will become not only useful for man but in a future time truly fulfill the dream that every religion of mankind has dreamed the reign of god upon earth the kingdom of god upon earth that is the dream of the vedas but vedas not only just dream about it they show us a path to realize it thus this earthly life shall become the life divine i think we can stop with this aspiration Uh, some of the cardinal features of the vedic mystics there is a small little handout in which i have just you know noted it for those who want and of course uh, this um, i mean i have not read from this yes we'll have the question i have not read from this uh, but uh, i guess some of the elements are mentioned there yes please uh, i have a question yes. you just mentioned that god created perfect world perfect sun absolutely and that's the beauty of it because his creation has not yet arrived to the perfection beauty is that even science is not perfect you see our body is known that makes errors because yet this world is in the sway of ignorance and the way to understand is only that it's an evolutionary world you know which at the beginning we were trying to understand that evolution is not inconsistent with sanatan dharma we i mean spoke about this in the very beginning that how this evolution has led us from the dust to man but it will not stop here it will go beyond man and the vedas show the path to realize it that's the beauty of the vedas otherwise they would be simply you know books of the past but they are actually equally books of the future now to take this example we can put it like that that uh, you know uh, i guess you 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 come from india right very much very much so you must have seen how the image of god durga and all these are prepared and uh, you know the images start uh, being made about 30 days before you know the people first gather hay and then they prepare it and then they you know put mud over it now if before the image is installed a few days before if you go and see say what a horror this is the goddess i am going to worship of course we don't say that because we know she is going to be that but if somebody saw it halfway through he would be horrified this is called god but wait for a few days and when the day comes we go into the pandal and whom we see that hay and mud transformed into a goddess we spontaneously feel like adoring her and worshiping her so man is half revealed god therefore he somewhere feels he is like god but he is not god in his potentiality he is god but in actuality he is a cross between the demigod and the beast but the point is that this is only god's half work we have seen we have seen the movie till interval 
we have to see the full movie but the problem of many of the you know vedvadins uh, and many of the uh, so called interpreters of sanatan dharma is that they are telling us that movie till interval is very bad please quit it because it's not a good movie anityam asukham but we forget the other part anityam asukham lokam bhajasvamam and then maam anusmar yuddhasya this battle is not over krishna says anityam asukham but he doesn't say therefore arjuna please bhaj govindam <laughs> turn away he doesn't say that he says yes bhaj govindam but fight this great battle of light for thus have i ordained you so this is first part is the we remember we have remembered the disconnected shloka anityam asukham is actually in a sense also a grace because things are impermanent they can change for better because i am impermanent therefore there is hope for me that today i am such a horrible man tomorrow i can become better because there is impermanence man can grow into god it's a boon it's not a curse if we look at it rightly but only problem is what is that path to become that that the vedas reveal us otherwise we have to wait for you know because there is a yoga going on inside uh, or there is a yagya going there is a vishwayagya vashvanar is conducting it with god himself as the deity but that will take millions of years and we'll go through so many kinds of 911 and uh, iraq war and indo pak war with god knows what all if we really want to stop it if we are sincere there is not enough to really just have talks and seminars they are fine they are a starting point but they should reveal to us the path by which i can arrive at the realization of the vedas then it will make a sense and then by growing into the consciousness of that by being spiritualized even if a handful of humanity can arrive at that realization then it will save humanity my question basically was for example uh, what if the sun which is perfect and you know, like there are millions of years right? yeah yeah we have water which is great and we have moon which is there for millions of years. he seems to have done all this job very good at this yes creating the sun creating the god absolutely it has not changed yeah even But this we can understand on this basis that matter has been perfected that work is over why, why not for because it's still going on you see the first level of work is over it's like you make a big building your uh, foundation and this thing is over now that job is done you are not going to dig again now anybody who sees the foundation will say solid foundation next is the walls are built so living beings are like that walls now that has been also to an extent perfected not fully perfected but to an extent has been perfected but there is a third level the finer touch has to be given to house that is yet to be made so while creation has traveled up till here therefore it there is a fair amount of perfection which has entered into it one cannot say it is absolutely perfect in the sense of a static perfection because static perfection is a dead perfection it's also you see sun is relating there are asteroids there are all kinds of things and yet you know as you rightly said there is a perfection still there are extinct species there are you know the damages calamities but still there is a kind of perfection true because life has already evolved in matter to a point but mind is still not evolved and the spiritual consciousness we are still only partly glimpsing it so man is imperfect because man is still evolving when he evolves completely we will have perfection of human life also yeah um you know you thank you for a very good presentation <clears throat> you made a statement that life is affirmative and also the concluding line life on earth is to be life divine uh yesterday we heard a competing uh, paradigm and the ladies here from shankaracharya brahma satya and jagannatya which says in all this is maya uh, this is not really true if there tragedies going on around the world 
you have not to pay any attention to those. People are getting killed. There's no reality to that. Reality is only above. Reality is only Brahma. Does that, that notion, does that negate what Sri Aurobindo is saying? Right. Actually, um, I'm glad that you brought it out. And uh, before I speak anything, let me say uh, that truly they are very great ones. And very frankly, I am no one to really comment on the greatness of each one's realization. But how I have understood it, in my own little way, that I can put forward. I suppose the experience of which Shankara speaks of is a stage in the evolution of our consciousness. There is a stage when we have to turn away from everything that is transient and distractive and turn within in a seeking for the eternal. And it's a very beautiful stage. But if we look at Shankara's complete works, then Sankara also speaks of the mother consciousness and he speaks of the beauty manifesting in the world. But unfortunately what we have done is we have taken even truncated Shankara and taken a part of him and forgotten the rest. So it's like, you know, people do, perhaps people may do the same for sure. You know, also, I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, the people again with Buddha's message. What have they done? Who is Buddha? He is seeker after light. And for that he tramples over desires and conquers his ego. Buddha was not a monk who retired into a monastery. He was a seeker. And when we look at that aspect of Buddha, we see him as a warrior, which is the true meaning of Arya. Arya is, comes from the root Ar. He is a farmer, a warrior and a pilgrim. And what does he conquer? Hill after hill. When he conquers one hill. So actually, all these people were great seekers. Now, where they stopped and where they went is beyond, you know, at least, you know, it's best not to get into that. But the question is, issue is not about Shankara and Shirobindo. My problem is as a human being, if life is only, uh, you know, falsehood which has somehow come into existence, then why this came into existence? Now the traditional explanation is Maya. Now the problem with Maya, Maya as it is understood, we'll talk about how Maya should be understood in the, in the right sense. If all this phenomenal existence makes no sense, then who imposed this nonsense on Brahman the eternal? That's the first question. And if moksha is the supreme goal, then who bound my soul to enter into this drama of pain and suffering? And after a whole cycle of pain and pleasure and all these things, say that get back to where you came from. Now it is like God cheating me. You know, it's, it's a, a modern version of that, you know, uh, throwing souls into some kind of a, uh, if not hell, then, you know, at least a partial hell and then, you know, asking them to get back and who will get back? A handful few who have turned towards the God in various forms. They're the only change version. This human consciousness is played with this game.